you know, we don't need all this stuff to make us happy. It's like, it's the simple things that actually do it. And, and, and we forget that, you know, you just have to read anyone who's done all the PhDs of asking people what they regretted on their deathbeds and all the, you know, all this stuff. It's like, we know what makes us happy, really. It's not buying the big house and the big car. It's like, it's time with our friends and it's nature and it's, and it's like, and it's the simple stuff. And like, those people have that in abundance. And it's knowing who you are and being connected. You know, it's like there's so many studies about how addiction is related to connection and all of this stuff. And and and, and it's true. I notice it in myself. You know, when I'm when I'm fully nourished on the deepest level with with friends and family and, and space and and less stress, especially stress from like social stress, um, which again you don't have if everyone's equal. Um, then you know, I'm not I'm not scrolling through Instagram all day you know it's like I, I have other shit to get on with and 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 yet we we are you know so it's we are a long way away from that and it is going to be hard to turn the corner and obviously the biggest thing the first thing is we well the the journey to get there is it has a number of steps but like the first one is believing it's possible this week, we have a real treat for you. Someone that we admire immensely and someone that I've enjoyed researching so much. And really, an unbelievable, unique reference point. Bruce Parry, an incredible man. He he shot a BBC series, 15-part series. We went and lived with some of the remotest uh, tribes on the planet. So across Africa, Papua New Guinea, Southeast Asia, South America, and lived with these people and got the learnings from it. He's also shot an eight-month series where he lived down the Amazon and up in the Antarctica and has an incredible reference point. And at the moment, he's kind of distilled lots of these and he's got his own social experiment where he's trying to put a lot of the learnings to this into the physical world, into his physical life. So it was an incredible conversation, really. I, I, I'm overwhelmed and it was deeply philosophical and practical at the same time. And one of the bits that fascinated me most was that one tribe was significantly different and it was almost like they had something like it was like something magic something ephemeral something that he almost couldn't tangibly and then he distills it uh, in this podcast yeah he, so, he said he said the first 14 tribes were incredible and wonderful and huge amount of problems just like we have and then he said the 15th one was just it blew off the lid of what was possible and it was incredible to hear that story and to really to hear how his own journey and what he's applying now anyway Brace yourself. Phenomenal conversation. Get ready to meet the wonderful Bruce Perry. And this is the first podcast in our community series, which is which we're really, really excited about. So let us know on social media how you got on with this one and other guests you think we should have, because the purpose of this series is really about, as we've mentioned earlier, is about building more resilient together communities to help tackle some of the challenges of today. So buckle up and enjoy the journey. Bruce, like, as we said, we're total fanboys. We absolutely admire your work, everything in your past and what you're currently at in your current project. And we want to talk about it all. So maybe I guess the first place for anyone that doesn't know you that's listening, like, I know your upbringing is very interesting and we'd love to talk about your tribal experiences because that is just, you know, yeah. it's very <laughs> rare. It's very, very rare. D in Dave was saying earlier that he reckons Bruce is kind of like a modern day Tintin in a way. <laughs> you know, like, like you consider yourself an explorer, which is, I think, so wonderful. Yeah, explorer is a sort of loaded term, isn't it? But I quite like the word explorer. I don't know another one that kind of conjures the same level of investigation and, uh, and 
you know, and searching. And uh, so, yeah, I like to think of myself as an explorer, but I think we should all be explorers. You don't have to go to the far flung corners of the world to be an explorer. You can like explore the inner realms. You can explore your backyard, you know, but exploring is is being thirsty for knowledge and, and curious. And and I like the word. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to receive that as a, as a word. Yeah. So so would you mind talking to us about like so your your BBC TV show Tribe was like we we started into that this week and we've watched loads of episodes and we watched Hawaii and we like we're just we're so lit up from it all all the indigenous stuff. So so from anyone listening that doesn't know about your experience with tribes like could you talk through because you went and lived with at least 15 different indigenous tribes from all around the world that lived in very basic kind of what a privilege! Well, basic through one prism, and 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 fully sort of empowered and full of life and and flourishing through another prism. I mean, it just depends in how you look at it. But yeah, I, I was I, I was very lucky that I got picked up by the BBC to do a series, a number of series, where I literally went and lived with tribal people um, in the distant, furthest flung corners of the planet, um, and. And moved into their homes, you know, and and said, "Come on, I want to be a member of the family. Show me what you do. Um, how can I help? You know, what 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 are you getting up to today?" And so that was everything mundane through the the gardening or the hunting and the cooking and the cleaning and the collecting the water and the chopping the wood, through to their rituals and ceremonies and and the whole shebang. So depending on where they were and what they were up to, I just got stuck in. And as you could imagine. You know, the, the 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 more you get embedded in a totally different culture, the more you get an opportunity to reflect on your own life and culture. And and so often, uh, my sort of perspectives were turned on their head. You know, and uh, and it gave me lots of time to reflect on on myself and and where I'm from and what we're getting right and what we're not getting so right. Um, through the, this amazing opportunity to live with these people, and. Uh, yeah, so I was in the Arctic, the the desert, the oceans, the mountains—you name it. I literally went everywhere, and, and what what a gift! You know, that was quite a gift. But was it kind of awkward at times, like going in and being received by these communities to kind of observe them and also participate? Was it hard to get that balance right, where you were like a fly on the wall but a participating fly on the wall? And yeah, hundred percent. It was really it, you know. For, it, it was one of the most complex types of program making that you can make. It's it's incredibly ethically fraught, whether you go there in the first place. What what are you doing going to these places? What what's the exchange? Are you taking? Are you giving? What's the dynamic of exchange? How much are you altering them? And and do they want that? Don't they want that? All of those things are part of the package. Um, and and then on top of that, it's like you know, what is the dynamic of me? being there with them you know how how how's that unfolding with a film crew with a camera in my face and their faces all day long and and yeah and so they they were very very difficult things to balance but I was very lucky that I worked with an amazing team of people who uh, cared very deeply with the BBC in Wales Um, and and we 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 did a lot of research into the the rights and wrongs and the ethics and the current thoughts on these sorts of things and and we and we put them first and and we we i think we pretty much got it right and 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 what the, the reason i can say that is because 
in every instance, we had the most amazing time and they always wanted us to come back and, and we made deep friends with them all. And, and I think that we left them in a state where they weren't un, un, unbalanced too much when we, when we disappeared, you know, because we're like the circus arriving, you know, their lives just continue. I go on to the next exciting thing, but we're like the, literally like the Queen of Sheba just suddenly lands in your village and your living room. And so these are complex things, but, um, but by and large, the, I think we did good. And, and, uh, and of course, they learned and we learned. And uh, the experiences were, were phenomenal. You know, I used to say to them, you know, don't treat me as a guest, treat me as a family member. And then they, they kind of got that. And then before you know it, then they're ordering me around uh, and sending me out to do stuff. And that's how, that's how you learn, of course. But the whole process of getting there in the first place was also very complex because we had to... Um, you know, often we would do a recce, it wouldn't be me, someone else would go on a recce like months or even years in advance and to ask permission and to discuss what the exchange would be and what they wanted from our coming. And then, and then we, we would normally go through either anthropologists or local fixes who knew the area, knew families. So we weren't just going in randomly, we were going into people who already had a long-standing relationship with an outsider who could then, I could like sort of sit on his shoulders or her shoulders and go in and be introduced. And so that was generally our way in. Um, and then, um, and then we would rock up as a film crew and film the original arrival, which was all very real. And then we would literally put down the cameras and go have a meeting and go, okay, so um, are you up for this? You know, do you want to have this funny, weird chap come and live in your house? You know, who wants, who would like to host him? Um, and and so we would then spend about two days setting up the crew camp while they got to know us and we got to know them without really much filming. And then if they were up for it, which, which they always were, then I would sort of get sent into one of the one of the community houses and adopted by one of the families, which is always hilarious for them. And uh, and then from that moment on, then I'm in. I'm I'm like I'm not going back to the crew area very often. Um, and I'm literally sleeping there, eating their food, taking their drugs, whatever it is they do, and uh, and and hanging out with them for the for the rest of the time, a month or so. Like that must have been like come, like as you came from a military background and a so you were raised a Christian. I imagine that was quite a remarkable shift in your own head, even how the society functions, how it structures. And then then even even I remember watching the one where you got a but where it was that tribe. I think it was in the Congo the ones that used a BOGO as part of their ritual and welcoming to the community. And they built a little kind of hut out of, you know, branches and banana leaves. <laughs> and it was like, there's Bruce's little house. And it, you look like, you know, it looked like a really fun thing to do. And then I also was amazed that you didn't use mosquito spray or any of these other things. And typically these tribes are along the equator where there must be, everything's trying to live off you and eat you. And like, <laughs> you know, and you were really, like they were obviously a darker skin than you had and were more used to this. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like a game show for me. It wasn't like I had to follow a certain set of rules that I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. It was all about basically how can I best integrate myself and let them, let them know from, from my heart that I just wanted to, to, to be seen and thought of as equal to them. And so, you know, um, if I had to take a malaria pill and no one could ever see it, then I would take a malaria pill because it didn't interfere with their perspective of me. 
Um, and sometimes I would take, um, you know, use a bit of lotion, but then I would just share it around and say, oh, this is what us stupid people do. And then they would all slap it on and we'd have a bit of fun. <laughs> but other occasions like that one you saw there was the first ever one. And, you know, and I got bitten to hell and like, you know, I spent a lot of time in the jungle before I did these shows. I'd already been sort of like in that world. That was how I got the TV shows because I was already spent many, many years sort of traveling. Um, but uh yeah that you know uh, i didn't always do it like that that was quite extreme it's like that i got bit into hell and it was and it was sore there's you know the the sometimes i i get bitten and i don't really get affected by it whereas the crew sometimes get really affected because you, you know a lot of the time these things just depend on how long you've been acclimatized and how many years you spent in that part those parts of the world so you know sometimes the bites wouldn't affect me other times they would but uh, for me it was always just how could I be the, how could I be seen and received as the same, you know? So mostly it was like living and sleeping in the houses um, and eating their food. And, and actually they, they were the hardest things. I mean, all the stuff that I get the credit for, for eating the bugs and the grubs and the taking the drugs and all the rest of it, they were actually the easy part. The hard bit was sleeping on the dirt floors, picking ticks off you all day with like, like curled up next to the family all naked around you it's just like very 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 <laughs> like intense intense like um intimacy in the space in a really uncomfortable sleep i mean, i'm i'm yeah i'm a bit of a princess in the pea you know it's like i i like a comfy bed and like when you you just it's rock hard and you, and it's cold or it's wet and i found that tough and then the food is just monotonous food all day, every day, the same thing, day in, day out. And sometimes really, I mean, sometimes it was amazing, but also sometimes it was really difficult. And what uh, type of food, like, so say. I mean, like, everywhere is different. Everywhere, yeah. so, like, the, you know, so like, let's say I'm in New Guinea um, and they just eat sago, which is the sort of inner pith of a palm tree. And they'll chop that down and then they mash it up and they wash it and it basically, ends up being like a like a ball of chalk and then they'll just have <laughs> and they'll soften that by the fire and you're basically eating that and it's like pure starch it's like 100 starch but no flavoring and it's like eating chalk and like and so someone offers you a little bug or a grub and you're like oh my god yes please you know, <laughs> And that's generally what it was. I remember a couple of occasions, like, so normally I'd always do it very strictly the first week, fully with, fully with the, with the family. Um, and then after that, I would occasionally come back and visit the crew. Um, and the crew also outside of the village, um, you know, with their tables and chairs and someone cooking for them and, uh, you know, spag bol and a bottle of wine and that sort of stuff on occasion. So, so I try not to visit there too often because it's very tempting. But I remember once or twice, if I did go in, because we had to have a crew meeting, and if I did join them for a meal, then I really, and then something like a bug was offered me the next day, I really didn't want it, you know? And it really was, it really was as simple as that. It's like, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're not getting the proteins or when you're not getting these things, actually they taste all right. You know, like a locust is like a shrimp. I mean, it's very, very similar. Um, but when you've just had spag bol, you don't fancy it. But when you haven't, yes, please. That's amazing. That's gas. That's gas. And could you talk a bit about like what, what you wanted to accomplish at the root of when you were starting it? Like what were your hopes and dreams and, 
and during the whole process did that change because like there's so many aspects you could look at you know going into this so i'd love to know your thoughts yeah you know i started out um i mean the whole of my life has changed dramatically year on year. You you mentioned earlier that I, you know, I started out as a Marine and Christian and very, very institutionalized um, upbringing, um, which was very happy in some ways, but also very closed in lots of ways. Um, I went through quite a few changes before I even got to the TV show, which I I guess allowed me to already be relatively open because I'd already had a number of what I felt was strong convictions turned on their heads um, through amazing girlfriends and whatever, questioning my sort of like military style youth and what have you. And so I've gone through some changes. So when I ended up going to meet the tribes, I was already open and realizing that yeah, life wasn't as simple as the black and white sort of version that I had grown up with. So that enabled me to be um, more receptive but yeah, as I went into that journey, I just changed more and more. I mean, like things like the, the plant medicines were extraordinary um, life-changing moments for me. And they didn't come across necessarily so much so in the shows because a lot of them aren't, aren't even legal back in the UK. Uh, so I wasn't able to wax lyrical, or at least I did wax lyrical, but they weren't able to show that uh, on the show in the same way. So and by, and by, there was... And by plant medicines, you mean like ayahuasca and aboga or magic mush, like exactly. those type of things. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we would think of as um, psychotropic um, or entheogenic, there's another word for it. But yeah, you could call it, you know, trippy, trippy plants. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, and we don't need to go down that path because it's a complex one. But uh, if you're doing those sorts of things with... Um, people who have been doing it for eons and they're the masters of it and they understand it. And, and it's just for them, it's just another um, medicine in the pantheon of medicines that they've got. You know, they've got medicines for bleeding. They've got medicines for menstruation. They've got medicines for, for headaches. They've got medicines for everything. They've also got medicines for the psyche. And, you know, if you think most of our medicines have also come from the plant realm, um, that, uh, you know, they, they've just got, a slightly wider selection. And so when they hold them with their medicine people and they know what they're doing, then yeah, I, I've, I had some extraordinary, extraordinary sort of uh, life-changing experiences, positive life-changing, it's difficult at times, but uh, through, through, those, um, through those ceremonies, as well as just uh, you know, hanging out with people who have a completely different perception of reality often, you know, the different spiritual beliefs and different relationships with each other and different relationships with nature and all these things that, that I had to go through massive internal shifts to understand, you know, because you, you can just carry on looking at the world through your own sort of scientific material prism, but when you start taking on board that actually these people have got something else going on and maybe it's worth listening to because they're not the ones messing the planet up, you know, and then, then you, and rather than, you know, I started out by kind of thinking that I knew it all and then I ended up realizing I didn't know anything. Um, and that's a humbling journey. Wow. Yeah, very... So you can almost went in kind of with the idea that these people, like they don't shop in supermarkets, they don't buy online, they don't have phones. They're living very basic lives. Oh, let's see what they're doing. And then through the process, it almost like you realize that their connection to nature and their way of being and their way of living 
seem to be bringing a lot more peace and, you know, love and joy in their lives than possibly how we're living in the West and in the first world. I mean, it's complex. And of course, each group is different. And some groups are, are struggling, you know, and some groups also have really difficult stuff going on. And, and some groups aren't in any way exemplary, you know, they're, they're misogynistic and, and violent and, and belligerent, you know, so there's, I'm not trying to put all indigenous peoples on a pedestal, but there are certain things that I learned along the way, backed up with then vigorous research when I got home, that have changed my perspective on so many aspects of life. And so things like mental health, you know, I never saw examples of addiction. I never saw examples of, uh, of like uh, some of the things that we have in our society that are really prevalent, you know, you, they're just not there in the same way. And, you know, some, you know, people can sit and watch the river flow by all day long and just be calm. And, and I'm like, I used to start out thinking, like, I don't want to be like that. I like my sort of, mad sort of jumping around life and and as i've grown older and i don't think it's just because i've grown older but as i've grown older i've I, and, and you know and investigated things like meditation and, and 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 other spiritual practices i've come to realize that actually what i originally was like which was this sort of like kind of crazy in the mind and crazy in the body was was something that i'm much better off without and that they don't even have it in the first place. And the way that they bring up their kids and the way that they have connection in community and the way that they are connected also to place and they have a sense of belonging and all of these things actually do something to us in our bodies and in our minds and our spirits that allow for a sense of calm that we just don't seem to have. And I think that, and I could wax lyrical about all sorts of things in that realm, that I think that I learned. And, and like I said, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. Of course not. And they still have ups and downs, but, but a lot of the problems that we have, that, that um, they don't have in the same way. And that allows us to reflect on our lives in, in a really beautiful way, I think. Because you've talked about them. Can I... No, no, I, I, I'm just going to talk about like, I, 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 the bit that I found phenomenal was when you went to the 16th tribe, the Penang tribe. and 15. There was the 15th tribe, sorry. And I think you kind of said that the 14 before were fascinating and amazing. And if you'd gone to the Penang tribe first, you might necessarily have seen the difference, that they had something special and something different that really challenged your very belief on how we're living our lives. And, and, and just, and can I say, and, and by, we're really excited by the way, by absolute chance, by absolute chance when we were 27, uh, there was, there was a group of, a random group of kids that wanted to go away on this world challenge expedition. And somehow I ended up being asked to go away with these 12, 16 year olds as a leader. And we ended up going to Borneo and we ended up spending a month in Borneo and we went into the jungle into a tribe where we had to trek a couple of days into. And I think they were part of the Penan tribe because they had big long houses. They only farmed rice and everything else was in the jungle. And I remember we went out climbing trees to find honey. I remember them rooting around for grubs. We had, we had, oh, everything came from the jungle except the rice. And it seemed like they were, pr from watching what you sh illustrated by the Banan tribe, they seemed like, you know, part of that generation, which was unbelievable, you know. Amazing. Lucky you. I mean, I love Borneo. It's one of my favorite places. And like, you know, it's so sad how, how much forest has gone out there, as I'm sure you saw yourself. But, you know, lucky us to have had the privilege of going there. Um, yeah, thank you for asking that question, because, you know, it, it's it, it has been a huge part of my life ever since, you know, and, and, and you, 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 you said it well, because because, um, yeah, it, it's true. I 
they were the last group that I went to visit when I was making my TV shows. And, um, and they totally changed everything about what I had previously thought I knew and believed. Um, you know, because having lived with all of those other wonderful groups, I kind of thought that I'd seen it all in a way. I mean, hopefully not so arrogantly, but, you know, you, I'd had so much information taken on board that I really had a sort of an answer for any debate about society and, and you know, human nature and all these sorts of things. And I, you know, could hold my own in those sorts of conversations. But then I met the Panan and I realized I didn't know anything at all. It's like this group was completely different to any other group that I'd been with. And, and completely different to any other group, including any other civilization or any other people or anything. So it's almost like everyone else that I've met in my life, you could put in one camp and then the Panan felt like they were working the same same computer, different operating system, like completely different right down to the core. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out what that was. And I think that if I, if, and if did I, you notice that immediately or was that something that was just instantly. subtle? Wow. No, in, instantly I knew, but, um, but it didn't, I didn't know what it was because it was invisible to me. It was like, there's something completely different about this group, but I don't know what it is. Cause I can't, cause like from the face of it, they look like everyone else. It's like they're smoking, they're wearing t-shirts. They're like, it's not like, you know, going to visit the, the groups I visited in, in New Guinea who were naked and still using stone tools. And so I mean, like they, you would think that they were older in a sense in that they're, in that they haven't even had metals arrived yet, but the Panan had something else going on. It wasn't about the, their material possessions or their trading. It was about the way they were. And, you know, to cut a long story short, what I have since realized um, is that they offered me an insight into the time before the agricultural revolution or the Neolithic revolution, as it's called, and how we used to organize societies. And and so even though I'd visited all these other groups, even some of them were hunter-gatherers and some of them you know, were, were um, nomadic and there's a whole spectrum of other groups. But when I reflected on it, in actual fact, each one of those other groups, even though they looked, some of them looked ancient in their own right, were actually quite modern in that they've all taken on this new aspect, which has come about in the last 10,000 years called hierarchy. And so they all had chiefs, they all had shaman, they all had stra stratification within society and all the problems that come with that. And when I met with the Panan, I mean, I'd read about this thing called egalitarian, but I hadn't, it didn't strike me until I met them how that's a complete sea change from anything else that I'd seen. Like they were almost existing without competition in their hearts. It's like, and it doesn't mean to say that they don't have competition. They've just found tools and methodologies for, um, for letting, for, for dealing with that so that it doesn't appear. And so they have like no shaman, no leaders. They're all sovereign individuals, but they've all, but they're also a very, very strong collective. And, um, and, and that journey of, of, of meeting them and then meeting certain anthropologists who, who sort of told me what it was that I had come across, because I just thought this was like an anomaly in the middle of nowhere. And then I suddenly realized that, no, every group in Africa and Southeast Asia, basically in the tropics that we first left Africa and went out to Southeast Asia, any group that's still existing there that hasn't been affected by the Neolithic revolution, all have these similar traits. There's no ownership, no competition, no hierarchy. And 
and there's and there's a strong growing belief now amongst anthropologists that this is basically how we all were for 95 percent of our time on the planet i mean that's that's quite a big deal that's like how we were and it's only in the last 10,000 years we've got back into this game of aggression and hierarchy and and competition all the rest of it and is it almost rooted like because you know the way like I've heard you talk before where you said like back in the previous like 95% of humans existence, there was no agriculture. So people were, you know, you, you, we were hunter gatherers, we were nomads and we had to carry what we had on our backs. So sharing was natural and hierarchy didn't really exist. Whereas kind of now it seems like that the ego are, you know, once we moved away from this, it's really exalted the human ego to some degree. And was that kind of part of the, Route which you discovered with the Panan, there was less ego and more harmony and more we versus I. Yeah, thank you. It's a really good point. I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of, of stuff that comes together for explaining why it is that they are like that. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, and some of it is because that's probably how we evolved when we first became, when we first stood upright and then the women kicked out the alpha male and invited the other men to come and live with them. This is a, another story we can go into in a minute that I discovered. So I think that we, we evolved to become um, egalitarian uh, as, as sort of early days of, of being homo sapiens. And then that lasted through. So that obviously enabled it to be a continuance with the narratives that they kept going. But I also think that um, that they that the way that they are and the way that they're um, seeing the world and perceiving the world and being in the world also helps. And and I'll explain that for a second because uh, it, it's a little bit like what what my film To Why goes on about. It's um, it's like when you're hunting and gathering on a daily basis, that's like a meditative practice. You know, you have to be in your body in your senses to be able to catch the monkey. If you're not, then it will get away, you know? So you've got to be very present. Likewise, when you're foraging, you've got to be incredibly present to what is around you. You can't just be, you know, off strolling, strolling through the forest. You've got to be, where are the things? They're not necessarily visible instantly. So you've got to be looking and, and it's a different type of awareness. And, and anyone who's done a, like a, 10 day silent meditation retreat or anything like that, you know, they'll always say that one of the things that, that the experience at the end of that period is through that journey of, of learning how to be present and uh, in the here and now, you, you gain this sort of expansion of consciousness and this sense of empathy and feeling part of something bigger than you, you know, you get this um, feeling of connection basically. And I think that, 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 these people quite possibly had that much more and that's an invisible you know how do you prove that you, you know, it's very very hard to for me to say that absolutely but it's a sense that i get is that they're feeling more empathically connected to each other in the forest and when you have a sense of empathy as you know as you as as we all know that shifts also your behavior because if my feelings are directly related to your feelings or the forest feelings, then, then it's in my interest that you're doing all right. You know, your pain is my pain, your pleasure is my pleasure. Let's let, you know, I'm, I'm more inclined to be acting positively in that space if I have a deep sense of empathy with everything. Um, so I think that that's, that is a strong part of it, you know, and that's why maybe spiritual practices or plant medicines and all these things, they offer us a deepening of this sense of empathy, this de deepening of this sense of connection. 
And I think maybe it's just attempting to get us back to a place that we always were, you know. And, 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 and is it almost, can I, can I say one thing? Okay, please, you're excited, please. yeah. I was just going to say that, like... Um, you're amazing like, listeners, by the way, you guys. It's really I, nice. Stillness, stillness. I really feel, uh, I feel your oh, We're hanging on your words. We're really uh, we genuine. Adore, I'm adoring this. I'm absolutely loving this. I really, really am. And like, I think is part of the learnings because like you've had your own journey with all these tribes and it's been your own transformation process. And like, there's been lots of learnings, which you said was how they raised their kids and how they lived in community and their touch. And these were basic things that, that were evident. But it seemed like at the root of it, there's almost like a spirituality that we're missing in the West, like an innate sense of connection. And almost you described it in your movie to why, where it was the right brain and the left brain. And now in current culture, Western culture, we're very left brain orientated. So it's kind of it's more independent. It's more bits and like it's not the full picture, whereas the right brain it seemed to be more harmonious and more connection. And, and another thing which I was wondering is intuition part of that, because you know the way intuition, connection, empathy, they all seem to be kind of words to describe a similar quite trait. That's a really beautiful. weird question, but. No, 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 beautiful. Well, if you remember from the film, I'm sorry for everyone who hasn't seen the film, I'll explain. We, we, we visit the Panan in the film and then I go on and visit this other group called the, the, um, the Piraha in the Amazon, I don't know if you remember them, they're the guys who basically, um, who have no sense of language, future and past tense in their language. So they, whether they want to or not, can't help but just being present. They can't even abstract out and dream, daydream about future times and uh, past times because they haven't got the linguistics to do it. So like, so they're, they're very, very, very much about the present. Um, and I, I, that sounded a bit glib. I don't mean to, to, for it to be glib. They're an amazing group of people, but it is funny about how they're so fixated on the present that they, they haven't even created a, a linguistics for um, future and past tense. It doesn't mean to say they don't have a future and past tense. There just, just isn't a language for it. Or the, um, what's the word? The, uh, the vocabulary for it. Um, so it, when, when we meet those people um, in the film, what we what we what we discover, which is the main reason I went, is that they have a running dialogue with something that is out there talking to them. Um, and you know, so as you say, spirituality. It's like you know, many of us would imagine that 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 um, we we hear about indigenous peoples who have connections to um, you know deities or the spirit realm or whatever. Um, and I've I've come across that in many places with you know, shamans doing drumming or, or, you know, plant medicines or what have you. Um, but, uh, but I'd never come across group people who have it innately without any need for any type of activity that takes them into that realm. These people just seem to have it. And this running dialogue with a spirit entity that, um, that's just there. And so my sort of, it fitted in with the th theorem that I was creating in the film was like, this is all about them being incredibly present. Um, and when you meet them, they are, they're just super here, solid here and that. And so I wanted to ask them, you know, wh where, where does this voice come from? What, what's it telling you? What, what, what are the guidances that you're receiving? And, um, and it turns out that there's lots of different voices and there's lots of different things going on. Um, but what, what was really nice is that the, the, and whether it's an intuition or whether it is a spirit, it, it's not for me to say, 
You know, all I know is that that they have a voice which isn't doesn't seem to be just what they would think of as their own voice. It's another voice. Um, and what what I really loved, and maybe for me the most powerful moment in the film was when I asked this guy Tuabachi, I was like, where, where where does this voice come from? And he says, I receive it in my heart. And then it becomes words in my head. And uh, and this fitted so beautifully with the work of Ian McGilchrist, who talks about the left and the right hemisphere, because the right hemisphere is the one that's more connected to the body and the heart. And this is the one that has the more um, the, the the wider view that sort of takes things in in a much wider context and puts everything in context. So that really fitted in with the sort of theory that we were building in the film. Um, and yeah, it is a, a, an intuition. It is a it is um, so it, it is something, but the other really beautiful thing about the, the, this voice was that when it was guiding them, it always seemed to be guiding them in a way that was pro-nature, that was pro-biodiversity. It was like, don't take too much, you know, don't, I'm telling you, don't take the, the whole trees down. Don't, um, don't, um, only take what you need. And so that was really, that was really, um, beautiful, I thought. Uh, and as you know, just to finish off, and, and tragically, just to finish off, you'll also notice in the film that the last little bit we do with them is that they have now started to farm, to garden, and they're they're they're, they're telling me um, that they're now not listening to this voice anymore, and this voice, this voice is saying to them, this voice is saying to them. Um, please don't chop chop us down. The trees are saying, "Don't we're we're like you. We're human too. We're, it hurts. Please don't burn us." And they're still fucking doing it. And that to me is like so heavy and so big. And it's like, my God, is this is this the wound that we're all carrying? Is this something that's so deep inside all of us that we intuitively know that what we're doing to nature is 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 against the deepest aspect of who we are? I don't know. I think we instinctively do know that, but we're just so caught up or many of us, at least this is my belief. But in terms of like, so, so we're fascinated with the topic of community and how to build resilient communities and how to function more as a collective and less celebrate the individual. Like seeing these tribes that actually function and organize themselves in an egalitarian manner. How do we in any shape or form move along that journey because it seems like they're more connected they're more they celebrate the collective they share the wealth that seems to function in a more diverse and sustainable manner and i know and i know this leads directly on to your current experiment of you know because because i think this is the direct application which you are trying to be the example you know put some of the learnings into re- that's what i'm understanding it as I don't know what you've been reading or listening to. I'm, I'm putting myself on a pedestal that I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to be on yet. Um, but yes, I mean, like that, basically this has been my life and it sounds like it's very close to, to where, you know, your interests in your life too. And that's so, so beautiful to hear. And I've also heard about what you've been up to and it sounds amazing. And um, so, yeah, we're all struggling to find our way of dealing with these lessons that we've learned in the face of the, you know, the impending situation that's going to come our way and, and for our kids. And um, 
and live more healthy, wholesome lives. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing. And the question is, how do we go about it? And like, you know, when I talk about egalitarianism and, and this sort of stuff, a lot of people just sort of raise their eyes and go, well, look, it's a time gone by. We're not hunter-gatherers anymore. It's like, we're not living in the tropics with abundant resources. We're in this other space. And that's true, you know, it's really hard to imagine because it is a different paradigm. You know, it's like, it's not about exchange. It's about giving. It's about, it's, it's not about ownership. It's all of these things that are so embedded in our society are turned on their head when you look at how they're living. Um, and yet I'm still somehow convinced that it, is, that it holds the answer, you know, and like, I don't know, I don't have a simple, um, solution other than give it a go you know that that's it it's like i know the reason i'm so driven is because i've met people who are existing like that and and i i, I i've given talks about this before and i know that it just goes over people's heads a lot of the time and i'm like fight this is so far away from anyone's consciousness is true the true understanding of this egalitarian way is so far away that i just sound either naive or or or, or just foolish really because it's just it, it, it it's hard to get and that's where i got to it's like okay the only way this is actually going to land for others if is if they can also experience it like i experienced it and the only way they're going to do that because not everyone's going to fly out to borneo or to the congo is that I, okay i've just got to try it you know so that's the journey i'm on and um and it's not uh it's a long way. From, it's a long way from. You know, I'm still in the very, very, very embryonic stage of um, building something, and uh, and it's so. It, I, I'm sort of reluctant to. Not reluctant, but I, I'm I'm fearful of saying too much in case it doesn't happen or come across. But like that's the, that was the that's the dream is to create something that can, in some small way, replicate what I felt and learnt so that that can be felt and learned by others and, and you know and grow because i genuinely feel that it's it's a that we'll be happier you know you're the happy pair i think we we will will be happy i think that we will find a deep contentment i think that so many of the problems of our time dissipate you know, we don't need all this stuff to make us happy. It's like, it's the simple things that actually do it. And, and, and we forget that, you know, you just have to read anyone who's done all the PhDs of asking people what they regretted on their deathbeds and all the, you know, it, it, all this stuff. It's like, we know what makes us happy, really. It's not buying the big house and the big car. It's like, it's time with our friends and it's nature and it's, and it's like, and it's the simple stuff. And like, those people have that in abundance. And it's knowing who you are and being connected. You know, it's like there's so many studies about how addiction is related to connection and all of this stuff. And and and, and it's true. I notice it in myself. You know, when I'm when I'm fully nourished on the deepest level with with friends and family and, and space and and less stress, especially stress from like social stress, um, which again you don't have if everyone's equal. Um, then you know, I'm not. I'm not scrolling through Instagram all day, you know, it's like, I, I have other shit to get on with. And, and, and yet we, we are, you know, so it's, we are a long way away from that and it is going to be hard to turn the corner. And obviously the biggest thing, the first thing is we, well, 
the the journey to get there is, is, is has a number of steps but like the first one is believing it's possible and and therefore wanting to go on that journey and the second one is like then going through the journey of healing because it's like because one one thing we've done very well is we've created the life that we wanted and only just waking up to the fact that the life we wanted isn't actually very good for us at all you know we've like broken into the sweetie shop and we're all fucking dying from <laughs> really bad diseases and like and like it's not good for us and actually but it's but it's very tempting to be gorging yourself in this beautiful sweet shop but like we know that exercise is good for us but we're not very good at doing it you know all these sorts of things and so to make that shift we have to like genuinely believe that it's worthwhile and 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 especially as going on the journey of kind of sort of stepping out of the sweet shop and getting over our addictions to all that and going into something that we know is more wholesome but it's like it feels difficult at first and and that is going to be the same for a lot of us going through the journey of coming back together you know we we're, we're very good at being on our own because we don't have to deal with our stuff you know and then you come back into it's hard enough being in relationship with one person let alone a community of people let alone being like really aware of what we're doing to the rest of the world and the rest of the planet you know those taking on board those things is is going to be difficult and it will mean letting go of some stuff and it will also mean some deep self-reflection and probably uh, some trauma therapy along the way, which we all need. And so it's, you know, it's, it's not cut and dry that it's going to be possible, but if we can genuinely believe that, that, that what we'll find on the other side is going to be glorious beyond all imaginings, which I think it could be, then, then it's worth trying, you know, but it's hard to do it on your own. And so, you know, the more that understand this and the more they get on board with this, then, then, then obviously then it's uh, it's an easier journey when you're doing it in unison. And uh, that's kind of, that's the dream. And um, so it's like, it's slow starting, but that's, that's where I'm heading. Yeah. Cause it's almost like utopia. Like you've kind of seen almost, can I go almost like a utopian experience that on the outside to someone that grew up in, you know, Western civilization could be judged as they're very basic. They're living very indigenously, but in a way it was utopian on a spiritual level and it, something like that. And it, almost, almost that it nurtured their inner child. Cause you know, when you observe them, certainly through that movie to why they were very at ease, you know, they, they looked like they were hanging out a lot of the time, which is difficult for most Westerners because we're usually on our phone or what's going on next or whatever, you or know, must so. be productive, must be productive. That, that, that it's almost like a different species or something like that. Like that. And, and I also remember we, we had, we had Russell Brand on as a guest and we were chatting to him and kind of jokingly, like we were saying, oh, what, 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 what do we need to do in the future? What do we need to do? And he kind of like, part jokingly and part real said, well, I think we need to break up into small individual communities and foster really these deep communities that bring out the best in one another and heal. And he kind of went off and kind of his ideology on that. And it sounds like you've, you're on that same rhythm of kind of going, how do we create this community that's connected to the land where we're healing one another and we're kind of dealing with our own stuff and it's less focused on, well, not focused at all on leadership, on ownership, on hierarchy, but it's based on the we versus the I and more about 
benefiting the human experience, which is which goes against in complete opposition to current culture, which is uh, you can have it all, you can do it all, and you can be it all. And it almost goes one hundred percent in conflict to the very nature of capitalism, cap- because the nature of capitalism it's built on competition. So it's like it's 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 like it's like in the Wizard of Oz, seeing beneath the veil, and suddenly it's like, oh, that's a long way to go that way. <laughs> yeah basically everything you just said nothing to add basically <laughs> <laughs> i'll have one of those please because <laughs> i remember 20 years ago like 20 years ago we went wandering went on an on l walkabout around the world and i remember you went to lots of egalitarian feministic communities in missouri and, and i remember thinking this is going to be utopian you know in many ways it was and also they had problems too, you know, it was, it's part of the human experience. And I'm sure in like, say with the Penang tribe, like how, how do they make decisions? Like how do they collectively organize themselves on a practical level? Like, is there, if there's no leader and if you're, is every decision this... made by consensus or is it, or well, do they, they, just... you know, they have the advantage that they have a lot more space than us. So any sort of conflict they have is sort of dealt with by sort of separating out and, and people just, avoid their conflict adverse kind of groups and so and so um people have the space in order to be able to sort of like disseminate all these issues um and then when it comes to decision making well my understanding is that the um that they generally find decisions a lot easier than us because they're they're of kind of of that they seem to be more of one mind naturally anyway and I think this is a really interesting point. And like, and I, you know, and I'm only talking about people like the Panan here. Like other groups I can't speak for because they they in the game of, of hierarchy and, and leadership and stuff. But with the Panan, um, you know, there, there's a there's a there's a line at the end of the film which says like, I don't know about planes. This is like one of the the guys in the Panan tribe, Arau, my friend Arau, who says to me, I don't know about planes or cars, but if it doesn't last forever, I don't want it unlike the forest, which will last till the end of time. And, and the reason that I like that line is because it, it's not that he doesn't think planes and cars are cool. Of course he does. He, he'll be totally up for it. But he's just found something else that's more important. And what's more important for him and his mean, where he gets his meaning in life and where, he, where his belief and his, his sort of values are in life is more about the future generations. And he understands that these other things, these trinkets that we might throw at him, will interfere with the well-being of the future generations. And so he's like, it's not to him, it's not a sacrifice. It's just a shift in a shift in meaning and value. And I think that you know we all talk about how we, you know we care for kids. And of course, I'm not pretending that we don't. We do. But when we're but we've also been sort of like hoodwinked into believing that we can have it all. And actually, that's just not possible. And like, so somewhere along the line, we've, we're going to have to make some choices. And like, we either choose choose for ourselves and my own stuff, or we are going to make choices for the future generations. And 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 when when you know when the when when Aral said those lines, you know, I think that's what it is. It's it's like he's just that's where his meaning is. It's a point that it's a point that. Um, the, a guy called Viktor Frankl, who you've probably heard of, made in his his book *Man's Search for Meaning*. You know, so Viktor Frankl, for those who don't know, was um, was uh, a, a psychiatrist who was in Auschwitz. You know, the most horrific experience any human could be in. Um, and he made the point really clearly that 
anyone who uh, whose meaning was just about their own well-being, about their own happiness, the pursuit of their own happiness, clearly in a place like that, struggled immensely. You know, you can't imagine every day you're never going to get what you want, and so you're always going to be always going to be struggling. But anyone whose meaning wasn't about themselves, but it was about something beyond themselves, whether it was their religion or their children or something else, then they could find happiness and um, and and peace, even in the most difficult of times. And I think that's what aroused the person in the Penan who said that line touches on there. It's like, he's, his meaning isn't himself. It's not, it's not about him anymore. It's like, forget your planes and cars. I'm down with having the forest. And, and he will be just as happy as the person who likes to jump in the plane and the car. It's not a sacrifice. It's just a shift in meaning. And I think that that's something that we can do collectively. You know, I don't. You know, I'm sure that you, you know, you've uh, maybe you were there yourselves. But the people who were on the streets of London during XR, you know, whether you love it or hate it, um, I was there visiting. That's and, Extinction Rebellion. That's what you're. Right. Yeah, that's well, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, I, I, maybe it's a bad example because obviously it's not perfect and it, it, it upset. It, you know, it it was confusing for some people, but like the people who were there. Um, had a sense of had a sense of unity and had a sense of purpose that was beyond themselves. And you know, so they were sleeping sleeping on the in the streets in tents and getting bustled around and stuff. But the the feeling of that they that I experienced in their company was this sort of immense sense of joy because they had this sort of unified group focus. And uh, and you know, we we see that in lots of aspects of life. Um, and uh, and so you know, and it's obviously what religions have always had in in the you know over the years. It's just that they, um, yeah. Well, and and religions do that in some ways incredibly well. Just need an upgrade to bring nature in, you know, and then we'll be it will be all right. I like it. Upgrade. There's there's and I think like there's a couple of things I, uh, you mentioned there which I, I uh, I'd love to talk about. And one was you talked to, you gave the reference of the sweet shop and the allure of Western culture and how we all want a new phone, like the allure. And I look at our own kids and they're going to be teenagers soon and they have the allure of Western culture of, I want a phone and I want a new jacket and I want, I want, I want, I want. And there's that. And that's, as you described wonderfully, the allure of the sweet shop. And I love that. I think that's an amazing analogy. And the challenge of how do we move away our culture to this more egalitarian you know, culture, which you're suggesting, which in, in fin- like inherently it sounds like, wow, and I'm listening to, it, I'm like, I'd love a piece of that. How, how do I not want this stuff? And how do I get over this stuff? And like, I guess it comes back to like, when you had the realization from the Panan that this is, you know, the egalitarianism, like what were the, what were the first things that you thought needed to change in our culture or what was, or even in your life, in your life? Cause I know you've gone on a journey yeah, totally. I mean, I lived in Ibiza for 10 years while I was making all these shows. I was learning all stuff on one hand and then living a completely different life on another. And, uh, you know, and uh, like I said earlier, I think the awareness is key. It's like, you know, I, just because I saw, I went, I did another series after doing the Tribe series. I did a trip down the Amazon looking at globalization, you know, which is all about logging and mining and soya and meat farming and all these sorts of things and, and realized 
that our way of life is affecting people around the planet everywhere. You know, the rich nations are still sucking out all those natural resources from, from all these places. And we don't see it because it's not on the packaging on the label, but it is happening. That was my deep takeaway. But even with that knowledge, it, it took me ages to change my lifestyle, you know, because I like, like everyone is caught up in the, the fun, fancy, frilly stuff, you know? Um, but, after a while, the champagne lost its fizz. I just couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I had, I had too many memories of people in my heart and mind who were being affected by my every action. You know, I went to the tar sands and every time I fill up my car, I can see it and feel it. And so I'm incredibly privileged to have had that. And even with me having been there, it took me ages. So it's going to take a while, but but we need to we need to be having these discussions because actually all of this you know even the new green deal and the new technologies that are going to save the day those minerals have to come from somewhere and all of this is having a massive impact and so you know those the, those tribes as well one of the things that they have to their advantage is that they can see the impact of their lives immediately in the surroundings around them you know but we can't, you know, and we're we're still living as, as emperors in our empire, taking things from places we've no idea what the the result of that is, except that it's coming back to haunt now because we've got climate change and all these things. And people are in denial because it's a big thing to take on board, but it is a reality, I believe. And I, you know, I, I don't want to be the harbinger of doom, but but you know, I I wouldn't be so keen about talking about it if I didn't think that actually the, the, the alternative could be even better. And yeah, there's obviously, you know, I like my phone. I, I enjoy, you know, my, many of the creature comforts of today, but uh, I also enjoy um, trying to shift, you know, and I, I don't beat myself up. I know it's hard. I know I make mistakes, but I am trying to figure out a way that I can that I can move more towards taking care for the for the kids, you know, and and in the hope that they might get to see tigers and and elephants and stuff too, because the way we're going, they won't, you know, and so it's just holding these these different feelings at the same time. It's like. It's like loving yourself and not being too hard on yourself, but also really being strong about trying to make the right choices. And that means being aware, trying to become aware of, of all the things that we touch and, and, and use and eat and drive. And it's like, what is the effect of that? You know, and, and making that, and we need more public figures, you know, we need more pop stars and film stars to be, who are the, who are the ones that our youth look up to and listen to. We, we need them to, get off the wagon of doing the adverts and and basically as well yeah get out of the sweet shop and go into the vegetable shop <laughs> oh, oh i like that one and, go then, the and go into the forest for a picnic yeah 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 okay two 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 more questions because i know and we're, I've, we're got, I've got i've got more i'm so curious okay one just down to practical things and this is down to education i'm fascinated with education it's something that really resonates with me and it seems like a lot of our current education system came out of the industrial revolution in the sense of wanting to train people so that they could work in the factories and keep industry going. Uh, in these more indigenous communities where 
they don't necessarily they have to educate them how to you know feed themselves and hit the basic needs and when you think is, and is when there, you when you it, think can, when, can I just okay. is there any sense of an educa- education system or a process and, and a sense of a ritual that they've completed you know the way graduate sorry Dave you know the way a sense of graduation like it's almost like a ritual as in they've completed their education go forth and you know be a part of modern day commerce like in these more indigenous communities was there anything in the sense of formal education or is it just go out and learn you know start copying your community and, and just to make it relevant to like if someone wants to apply like if you are trying to apply this education to you know to the egalitarian ideals how do we apply that to the current education system and in the west rather than you know because that's where we grew up and i i don't know how i've ne- i don't know how education happens in tribes Great question. Uh, well, so no, nothing formal, you know, and I don't know if you've come across like unschooling and all of that yeah. sort of those ideas. Well, you know, so that would be more natural to where they are. It's like the belief, you know, the, the, the word education, as you know, the, the, the I think it's uh, the, the original term of it, educare, is like to bring out, you know, whereas what we do in education is like stuff in, you know, is their, their understanding is much more about nurturing and less about teaching. Um, and I think that that is, is also education. You know, that's actually truer education than, to the word than, than what we're doing, perhaps. So they, they um, do it much more probably by, um, by nurture and by, uh, by, but by the children generally wanting to um, emulate and uh, copy. And so, so, as we know, also as parents, so like kids, of uh you know their first thing is to you can say what you like but really they're just watching what you do you know you see monkey uh, do <laughs> and i think that that's a huge part of it but i'm sort of like meandering a little bit no in, in simple terms there isn't a formal education but i would say that they are as informed um about things that are relevant to their lives as we are in in our society you know they have to i mean like when when i go out in the forest and i'm hunting with with even the kids, you know, their deep level of knowledge of every sound, smell, and taste, and movement, um, and you know, it, just, not just now, but happening through the seasons and all the rest of it is, is extraordinary, extraordinary level of knowledge that is um, that's just cannot be underestimated as, as an education in its own right. So there's that. And then the next question, so I'll... I'll, I'll... Oh, yeah, I was, I was going to go for your own social experiments, like for your own kind of manifesto and what you're trying to do. Like, how do you see education and what ideals would you like? Because like, you're almost like, like how I'm understanding, you're kind of having a social experiment of egalitarianism and creating a community. And I'm wondering, like, how do you see education in that? Because that's more representation of the current, like how, what we can do in our own... Well, I think that I would definitely do more of the unschooling. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, like, I'm not there yet. I don't have kids. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and it will depend on who I'm living with and how we do it together as a group. But I'm all up for sharing that as within the group and um, having us all taking different turns at doing different things um, and it being very much more play-based. And, um, you know, and it's a very complex one, this, and it gets a lot of people people triggered because like you know all that any parent wants to do is 
do the best they can for their kids, you know? And like, and so some people would say, well, the best thing you can do for your kids is do what everyone else in society is doing because that's where everything's happening. And, and that's a very, very valid point, but I guess we all have to, we all have to take all the experiences of our life of who we are and like, just make that decision best. And, and personally, I think that a lot of what is happening now isn't necessarily the best preparation for what is coming. And so I, I will be reevaluating that when I come to creating the type of education alongside the other people who are living in community with me. It's like, okay, what, what is the best way we can prepare our kids for, for the future? And, you know, you will have seen Sir Ken Robinson's talks about, you know, creativity and like, you know, he's right. You know, we need to be thinking differently. We need to be thinking outside of the box. We need to be connecting to nature, learning life skills. There's a really beautiful friend of mine, George Lamb. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, he, you should get him on the show. He's a, he's a lovely guy. I'll put you in touch with him. And hey, so he, thank you. Yeah. He's uh he's, um he's, uh, He's working, he's got this organization called Grow, and he's working with a uh, comprehensive school in Barnet, I think, East London. And his, his, he's got a friend there who's the headmaster, and, and he's doing a pilot scheme with them. And it just so happens that they had a couple of acres that, that were next to the school that they've adopted, and he's taken on board like four or five new things that they're, that they're putting into the curriculum. One of them is learning how to grow food, healthy food. One of them is like learning how to cook and prepare healthy food. Um, so like literally, you know, going through the process of seed to, to harvest, uh, learning how to meditate and how to deal with their mental health, learning um, how to get into flow state and, and a whole bunch of stuff that is what he sees is like missing from the curriculum that could be really helpful for people facing complex times ahead. And so, you know, I think that there are wonderful thought leaders out there who are really pushing boundaries and George is definitely one of them. And he's, uh, you know, he's, his pilot is only in the second year. I think he wants to do another couple of years before he takes that to the wider, you know, to, to the national curriculum if, if they'll accept it. But I think that, you know, lots of us are trying to imagine how we can help our, help the future generations in these very very difficult times that we're in now and um yeah and so i'll be doing it in my space just like george's and his and you are in yours but the other thing that you asked about um that i'll finish on is uh is is there a is there a um a formal end to their education is there like a passing out or, or, or however you described it and i would say yeah there, there is absolutely nearly all indigenous groups that i've been to have some kind of rite of passage you will have heard that that term um uh, at a coming of age ceremony so it would be less you would you know you could say that that's not about education but of course it is it is it is the same thing in a way it's like they have been educated in their society, not formally, but there comes a time when they have to move away from the realm of perhaps relating to, to the mother, to joining the other adult males in the society. Um, this, what I'm gonna be talking about is more a, a, masculine, a male rite of passage. The women um, would all be different as well, due, due mostly around first menstruation and, um, and childbirth and those sorts of things. But I was lucky enough, so I can't really talk about them as much, um, sadly, but I have been privileged to undergo a number of male rites of passage, and they were really, really, really um, 
fascinating for me and really vital as well, actually. It's like something definitely shifts in the individual when they go through some transition from childhood to adulthood that I think that we also probably don't have and is seems to be missing. Um, and there's a number of things that happen for them. It's like it's a spiritual, um, emotional, physical transition. Um, generally, and every indigenous group will do it very differently, but it tends to be some sort of like death period, like um, sort of like simulation of death. And this tends to, especially for the guys, be some sort of physical hardship. And then out the other side, you know, you come. And, and the thing that's really important as well that they do is that everyone sees it, everyone witnesses it. So, you know, you get to see um, that person has now moved from one space to another and everyone can see that you did that task, whatever it is, you know, eat the aboga or jump over the cows or go on a long march or, or something like that, you know. Uh, and I got, a, I got to try a few of them and, you know, and I think the really important thing is being seen by being witnessed by your community going through that transition. And then then you don't need to, you know, you don't need to be showing off or or be pretending to be a man anymore, or like what because everyone knows you are, you know. So you just you just stepped into the next realm. Beautiful. Fascinating. Bit similar. Oh, I wow. think that's fascinating, really, really fascinating. And, and on a similar topic to, and in a similar topic to George Lamb, we literally got agreed there this week that we're going to be running a pilot project, a month long Happy Mind. We have this Happy Mind course where we're running it for teenagers in the school right next to us here for 120 kids, where it's going to be, you know, healthy eating and mindfulness, meditation and yoga, and you know, we've got the teachers and the like. It's a really fun holistic oh. project for a month, which we're starting in September, which should be really, really fun. Amazing. Yeah, you definitely, definitely need to speak to George. Okay, yeah, I totally excited about that. One, one final question, Bruce, because I could talk to you all day, and I understand you've loads going on. But um, one final question would be for anyone listening: What would be three things that they could practically apply to move more towards this wonderful utopia that I believe in, George or um, Bruce? <laughs> send me send me a sign up so no, no, um let me think comes i i always fail on these types of questions um i think believe it believe it believe it just no no you know there was something on the bbc recently I, as you know i love the bbc i was there for a long time and and uh and most of the blessings of my life they they have bestowed on me but uh you know there was a show recently by uh stephen pinker about how we've always been violent you know and that, that everything's getting better and better. And, and that's the, this is the paradigm that I'm fighting ultimately. It's like that belief that everything was shit all the way through. We've always been at war and now finally we're, it's, we're, we're getting better. And like, there's no doubt there's loads and loads of things statistically that are improving in our society, but there's also plenty that isn't. And uh, I just want people to believe that our deep ancestry was really, was really, um, peaceful and beautiful and I remember talking to Jerome Lewis the anthropologist who's in the film and him saying that the Panan were the most peaceful people on the planet and I'm like what you, you can't say that. he goes look Bruce I'm head of anthropology at UCL this is this is you know we the studies by the means by which we study these things these groups come out on top time and time again and I think that that 
just know in your hearts that that it that humankind is amazing and that we are capable of extraordinary things and that we that we are able even in vast 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 numbers capable of living in harmony with each other and with our environment and that just get rid of this narrative that we're just all thugs wanting to kick the shit out of each other because it's not the case and like we're we are an amazing species and we can we can make it through if we believe it and we want it so that's the first thing is just know yeah. it in your heart that it's true and sec- secondly i believe is, i believe um, bruce start making <laughs> secondly start making steps to that you know uh if if we um, if we can believe that humankind can do this thing, then then we I we can individually also move towards a more harmonious way of being, and that means also understanding and believing that um, that some of the troubles and the problems and the aggressions and the competitive elements and all the stuff that we've got bubbling away inside are just layers, and they're often conditioned layers or they're aspects of ourselves that are. Um, that are defense mechanisms against traumas that we received when we were children or whatever it is, you know, but like just know that beneath these layers of conditioning is something really beautiful and pure that we can touch, touch and find again. And that there are methods and tools out there that can help us all. Um, and whether that's meditation or yoga or dance or, or ayahuasca, you know, that they're there. And that, and that going on that inner journey is worthwhile. It's not navel gazing, self, you know, all about me. It's actually you do that work in order to be a better human being for those around us. And that is a journey worth going on. And 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 it will be difficult, but it will be wonderful because the the results for all of us, it's especially yourself, are, are manifold. So that's the second one. Which kind of sounds very similar to the first. I but. love that one though. That one's brilliant. The inner journey. Don't be afraid of the inner work. Do your work. Love it. Do it. Uh, and I know lots of the people listening will already know that, you know, but I'm trying to reach the, the furthest realms, you know. It's like we there's lots of us who've already got started this this work. But like as you know, there's plenty of people who are doing everything they can other than be still and and be with themselves. Cause there's a lot of pain. Out too there. much fun in the sweet shop. <laughs> let me think of a third one um let me think of a third one uh yeah g- gather together find other like-minded people to you know like like the panan they can go through these difficult difficult shifts because they're doing it in unison you know so just like find find like-minded people start clubs whatever go to go join your gardening group whatever it is but just like come together with like-minded people who also want to to make these changes because it's a lot lot easier when you're doing it with others and uh, i mean they're, they're very simple basic sort of um things but um that would be my off the top of my head my three bravo bravo <laughs> i love them i really do they're very good i particularly number two i think that one's so good because you know current culture doesn't really encourage us like our mother's you know our, our mother's amazing and wonderful and when we started meditating years ago she would have said what are you at with that navel gazing you know and that would have been the exact words which you used she you know would have used and you know so 
But yeah. you're amazing, Bruce. You really are. What an inspiration. Yeah, really. Lovely, Thank you so you much. So like oh, I've yeah. I've enjoyed researching, like just little watching all your stuff and then hanging out with you was even even better. So thank you. Thank you for your time and for all you offer and shared. We're extremely Maybe. grateful. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for everything you're doing too and your abundant energy and goodwill. Amazing. You gotta come. You gotta come visit sometime, and I, 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 I definitely want to come visit your utopia. Yeah, well, give me a give me a little while. But, give me a couple uh, of years. I'll be there. Years, yeah. Brilliant. So much love, guys. Cheers, Thanks, Bruce. Bruce. You're amazing. Find yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was epic. That was even better than I'd hoped for. Like he's he's wise. There was a wisdom and a deep kind of deep. Glory. I just loved that. And a humility, a sense yeah. of perhaps and maybe and possibly as opposed to this is the answer, which I, I admired equally. Um, it, a- it kind of rattles my core of like, uh, I have three kids, Stephen speaking here, I have three kids and, you know, they're in normal school and I don't know, it's something that I've been kicking around in my head and trying to like, my daughter May is 10 and, you know, school is coming up and, you know, that secondary school and I'm, I've been questioning it in my heart and in my soul. And I don't know, just just hearing him talk about these more indigenous tribes that are more connected to nature and are more, you know, they're intrinsically empathic and they collectively think more as a we. And I wonder how I, you well, know, I, I just contribute to this. I found the underpinning philosophical conversation there about what's happening in the world. And I loved his analogy of we've all been spending too much time in the sweet shop. And I really did like the current culture, it's how we can start moving it to make it to we, to where we are more connected and we are more connected to nature and we are not afraid to do this inner work, as he called it, because I think that's when we can heal ourselves, we can heal, we can be better versions to others. And it, it reminds me of that, uh, I think it was Dean Ornish I first heard say this story where there was a, a, a yogi, there was a yogi talking and uh, someone stuck up their hand and goes, what's the difference between illness and, he- and illness and wellness? So uh, the room went quiet and he walked up to the board and he wrote illness on the board and then he wrote wellness on the board. And then got the chalk and circled I in illness and circled we in wellness, put down the chalk and left the room and everyone was left. <gasps> what a moment. But I just think what everything that Bruce is talking about is that sense of collectively thinking, uh, celebrating the we, coming together. And I found that amazing. And together we could come out of this, the sweet shop. Yes! Woo-hoo! <laughs> 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 anyway, that was great crack crack being fun um but do thank you for all your feedback on social media we really really do appreciate it genuinely we'd love to know what you thought of this one bruce is a legend you'll find him on instagram bruce perry you'll find you can watch his documentary on vimeo uh he's got great system which you can just support his cause because i think what he's doing is amazing and you know giving us a, a view into these indigenous communities and how they live has been a phenomenal week of understanding for me i've enjoyed it immensely anyway thank you for listening thank you for being a part of this thanks for making it this long give us give us any feedback on social media guests you think in the future because this series is about community how we can build more resilient more sustainable more united communities Uh, over and out thank you thank you wishing you a splendid day week year and life bye 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 bye